everybody. This is Hater Radio. My name is Chris McLean. Hater Radio is a college football podcast dedicated to the greatness of college football. Uh, I'm again here with my co-host, Ian Gibson. Ian, how are you? Doing good. Uh, so from a crazy weekend? Yeah, it was a wild weekend. I actually went to uh, Texas for the Florida-Texas A&M game, and I had a great time. Austin is a really great town. I was there for most of it and then drove over for the uh, the football game. And the, the stadium is huge. It was one of the biggest stadiums, not only in – it's the biggest stadium in Texas, but it's one of the biggest in the world, and it was, it was quite impressive. Uh, a lot of new amenities, new stuff. It's very up-to-date, which is cool to see for a college football stadium. And um, – Interesting people there. They're definitely steeped in culture mm-hmm. there, steeped in their traditions. Um, I had heard that the school was an all-boys school up until like the 50s or 60s and probably explains a lot of why things are the way they are. Um, it's not anything wrong with it. It's just different. It's not It's not typically what you see at other schools. Um, it's just It's just because it, it really is uh, – a a, like a academy for like uh, the military. Um, I don't think their recruits actually are tied into any uh, military branch, but they like train to be in it. And I think they can once they graduate. I don't know the specifics on, I just have heard some things secondhand, um, but regardless, it was a great time. Um, we'll talk more about the game in a little bit, but a little bit about what we are and what we do. Um, both me and Ian are huge college football fans. Um, I decided to do this show about seven years ago. I started it. This is the seventh season. And um, I started on my own, and then I recruited Ian into doing this. We just met fortuitously. I had lost a cell phone and by chance happened to be coming to the store that he was working at. And, uh, you know, we've uh, been working together for like three years now on this stuff. And I think we're doing really good. And uh, what the show is, is we, the, the podcast is we break down each week that occurred so we look in the games that uh, happened in the previous weekend, and we'll do the uh, Heisman standings, go over which players we think are the best out of the, the country, and then we'll go over our four picks for the playoff and maybe even like two that are just out. And then lastly, we'll do a, uh, a look ahead to the coming games. And throughout the whole show, we'll discuss any storyline or thing that come up firings of coaches, hirings of coaches, um, you know, suspensions, anything that's like may peak interest in any way. But mainly what we like to do in the show is focus on the actual games and what actually occurs inside of it. And we don't really focus on recruiting too much because it's just, I don't know, it's just a whole nother beast that I don't really want to try to stay on top of. I love the games and I think the games are what's most important. <laughs> so with that being said, let's discuss week 10. So um like ian said like i said it was a very interesting week the first or this uh week 10 uh a ton of really good games um even the first two in the uh thursday and friday thursday was uh appalachian state and your chanticleers ian um and the chanticleers got the victory but it was close app state did not give up i was watching the fourth quarter and App State definitely made it a game. Um, you know, I, I thought uh, 
Coastal looked very explosive in their offense and made a lot of like really big uh, chunk plays to start off the game. And it seemed like they were going to probably blow them out, but uh, Appalachian State stayed with them and then kept pace most of the game. It was a little too late, a little too, you know, just not enough, but still made it a game. Uh, what are your thoughts from this one? Yeah, the – Coastal's offense has always been kind of the focal point for them for three years and four years now. Um, the, you know, the RPO attack and just being able to keep them off balance. App State's defense definitely has been struggling lately. Um, so they took full advantage of that. You saw them do a lot of, in this game, a lot of misdirections of, you know, shifting the line one way while misdirecting it on a play action or even a wide receiver jet sweep the other way that, App State bid almost every time. Um, And with that, you know, like I said, that RPO was uh, very uh, opponent for them because App State didn't know how to react to it Um, because they were, you know, honestly, I think they were confused on who had the ball. Um, But this was uh, still a very good game. App State was going to, you know, definitely um, fight as uh, much as possible and salvage uh, this season. but they um, Coastal clearly showed that they were the better team and had the better game plan to attack this defense. Uh, and so, you know, the Teal Chickens uh, got the uh, win. The Chanticleers are in the clear. Okay, so moving yeah. on, um, the next game was the Oregon State-Washington game. This was a good game. Like, I mean, I I know we talk about Michael Penix, and we've been talking about him for a couple of years now because he was with Indiana. And, um, you know, it's become like, I don't know, it's weird because like the West Coast teams don't get the publicity that other teams get. Like, I was just looking at it and someone was tweeting today about how, um, I don't know, they brought up something specific about like certain teams. And I was like noticing I'm like, oh, the Pac-12, their top four teams have like a combined five losses. And then I was like, wait, no, in their top five teams, they only have a combined seven losses. And I'm like, I don't think any other uh, conference in the country can say that. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, they, they're getting such little publicity. I know the whole, like, I don't know, the storyline for the Pac-12 the last six months has been, USC and UCLA leaving and what is like the future of Pac-12 but there's a lot of good football being played offensively especially like you know I I I can't say how well they are defensively because they're scoring so many points but I think like um I think they can compete with most of the teams in the country I'm not like I'm not like I don't know it's kind of confusing because it's like they're so like shut off from the rest of the 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 side of the country because it's like you hear big 10 all the time you're here in ohio state and michigan and you know you're hearing everything about the sec obviously you know tennessee georgia alabama and now lsu and it's like you're kind of hearing tcu but you're not really hearing that much about the pac-12 um and you know it's I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of blown away because it's like now you have a team like Washington who beats Oregon State 24 to 21 and is now seven and two. And you don't hear a single word about them. 
Like it's probably the quietest seven and two team I've ever seen. Like the, they, they wrote them off for dead when they lost Arizona state, but that was largely like a fluke game. I don't know if you remember that game, but it was like a weird interception by Penix that like bounced in the air and like Arizona state ran it back for a touchdown and like some other weird shit happened in that game. I'm like, it was a totally fluke game. Like, and if that doesn't happen, they're eight and one right now. And like, that's, what's ridiculous. Like, Whoa. Like, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm not like a PAC 12 honk. Like I've never been, like, I never was like, Oh, this PAC 12 is great. But being out here living here now, seeing it firsthand, like this is definitely the best PAC 12 uh, season that I've seen probably ever. And like, I'm talking like as a collective, like the, the whole grouping, because even Oregon state is not a bad team at six and three. And, you know, um, I'm trying to think who else has been relatively all right. I guess it's really the top five in Oregon State. What? Utah. Well, that was in the top five. So it's USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Utah are in the top four. And then Washington's the fifth. And then Oregon State would be the sixth. And then I guess the other one is um, Washington State hasn't been bad. They've been like kind of hit or miss on some things. But I would say – that their top like mid mid tier to top right now for Pac-12 is competitive with probably anyone in the country and i would i, I would say arguably maybe better than the, than the SEC and that's that's saying something it's close i would say it's probably right there well, with them remember Oregon and Utah played SEC teams and both of them lost. Yeah, but Utah lost by the last second by an interception at on the road. And, and that, that, that and that, Oregon. Yeah, and that first game, I don't know what to say. I I would like to see Oregon in Georgia in some like hypothetical play again, but I don't want to see it in reality because I know it's probably going to happen again. But I will say they have been playing a lot better since that point. Like literally they've been on fire and Bo Nix, you know, has been ridiculous. I mean, that is probably one of the most remarkable um, changes that I've seen in a quarterback. And I don't know how long it's kind of crazy. Um, but do you have any thoughts on this game before we move on? Um, I, I was just going to say it was, you know, Penix definitely carried this one. Um, and the problem was, is that, they got um, Oregon State was just too one-dimensional in the run. They couldn't pass it as much. Meanwhile, Penning, yeah. especially with his legs, was able to move around and just you, it seems to make bigger plays with, uh, when the passing game is wide open. And it was for Washington, and they were able to eke out the win. Yeah, that Martinez guy is uh, the running back for them is good. He's a freshman uh, for Oregon State, and I really liked him. But uh, the one thing I wanted to note was um, they were – talking about Penix in like the beginning of the game. And one of the guys goes, he throws like hot knife through butter. And then immediately after he says that he threw a pick six. <laughs> it was like, I'm like, Oh my God, that is such perfect. It's, an answer, Jinx. it's like when they yeah. say like, this guy has never missed a field goal from this <laughs> yeah. range. He misses it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So moving on, uh, UNC Virginia, um, you know, your boy, uh, Brandon Armstrong, has just been kind of, I don't know, falling off big time. I don't know if it's just maybe the rest of the team isn't as good, which is definitely a possibility because Virginia doesn't recruit that great or that well. So, um, But 
Drake May has another huge game. Um, he has three TDs in this game, and it's just a silent sleeper of a Heisman campaign that, you know, I, I would think with as big a school as UNC, they would be trying to hype this kid up more because he has the best stats, like passing-wise, uh, yardage-wise, I think right now out of any of the contenders. And his TD total is pretty high up there as well. So I don't know why he's not being considered more seriously. They're eight and one, which that's the other thing. It's like, you know, they've got a really good record. Their defense is terrible. Like that, that's probably the main reason why a lot of people don't take them seriously. But, you know, with games left against, let's see, Wake Forest, that'll be an interesting game. And we'll talk about it later. Georgia Tech and NC State. The NC State game would be something that I would be intrigued about. I don't know. Wake Forest too. It's just Sam Hartman's just kind of fallen off last two weeks. He's had like that Louisville game. He had like eight responsible for like, I don't know. It was at least like six turnovers he was responsible for. And then this week it was terrible too. Um, but uh, UNC gets the win and uh, uh, anything from this Ian you want to talk about or. No, I agree that, you know, again, the offense and Drake May especially uh, came up big uh, for them against Virginia. And it's worth noting that it, the door is open for North Carolina to run to the ACC championship. Now, like you said, the schedule, they play, um, you know, they play Wake Forest, which is going to be, you know, Wake Forest, I, I get they haven't been as strong, but it's not an easy challenge. Then you get Georgia Tech, which should be, a layup, and then you got to end it with NC State. So not easy, but considering that you know division, it's ultimately going to come down to either Duke or if North Carolina has to lose all these three. Yeah, so if North Carolina just wins the next one, it's them in the ACC championship. And yeah. I was not expecting. I mean, I called. Uh, Pitt or Miami and North Carolina definitely, you know, broke the door open and said, there's, you know, we still have talent here. Uh, but it was a good win for North Carolina. But I agree, the defense is not up to par because it's another game where they did outplay Virginia. They just couldn't, like, get that defense off the field. And they yeah. found, a, found a way to win is what was important. And it was another close win, but it's going to show up as a W in the books. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think all they have to do is beat they have to beat Georgia Tech and they win the division. Like even yeah. if they lose to NC State and um uh what was the other one? Wake Forest, I think they because they already beat Duke, so they would just they would tie and then with head to head they would have the, the tiebreaker, so they would win. So yeah, all they have to do is really beat Georgia Tech and they they win the division, which is crazy because I just think the, you know, Mac Brown, as much as he like, I don't know if he fell off at Texas. I don't think he really did. I think they were just kind of like, I don't know what it was. Cause it was like they had Will Muschamp as the coach and waiting there. And then mm -hmm. just like trying to get rid of Mac Brown. Oh, and I know oh, it wasn't like what Florida State did to Bobby Bowden. Yeah. But Bobby Bowden was older. Like at that point, yeah. Bobby was like in his like mid to late seventies. Like Mac Brown was probably like, 65 or something like that he still had like and i mean he's obviously still a competent coach like he knows what he's doing like he can recruit and like he gets people to come there like 
I mean, they definitely should have been better with uh, Sam Howell last couple of years, mm -hmm. considering how strong of a uh, quarterback he was. But I mean, Drake may looks pretty damn good too. So, and he's only like, what a sophomore, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, he's got plenty of time, at least another year to really like uh, make the best out of this. Okay. So moving on, uh, getting to the Florida, Texas A&M game, uh, Florida wins 41, 24, um, it was a interesting first half because it was back and forth and Florida just couldn't stop Texas A&M. And I was getting very frustrated and I didn't really want to watch any more of it. I had really close seats. I got lucky because I was like scouring all the apps and I was like looking for tickets. And on Friday before the game, I found one like 19 rows up for like only like $130, which, you know, is not a bad price for a really close seat. And it was like 50 yard line as well. And so um, I, I got lucky finding that seat, but it was really hot in the sun. So I was like, you know what, man, I'm just going to like watch it from the side in the shade. And like, I was watching and I'm a little superstitious as well. And then like, as soon as I moved over there, Gator started doing better. And like, <laughs> You know, that second half, though, and I'm just, you know, superstitious, whatever. But, like, the second half, the defense really started, like, tackling and disrupting the, the passing lanes. And, you know, uh, Haynes King did not look like the same quarterback in the second half. I mean, first half, he was just, like, all over the place. You know, they – I think he had the majority of his yards in that first half, you know – uh, I don't remember exactly what the total was, but I know in like the second half, they only had like less than a hundred yards uh, for the second half. So the Gator defense tightened up and then, you know, Anthony Richardson had a hell of a game. Um, you know, those two touchdown passes he had were freaking awesome. Yes. Especially that one to Frazier's. Holy cow. That was, yeah, I, I remember I said um, I was watching the game. And I said, that is the little definition of putting the ball where only your receiver can catch it. And that's exactly what happened. And AR was like, I'm going to throw it here. And at the very least, either he catches it or it's incomplete. It was perfectly uh, placed and it was a fantastic uh, catch. And I agreed, AR probably played one of his best games of the season. I mean, that, that run alone on that touchdown run was amazing. Like the, the 60 yarder, like, yeah, he, he wasn't even like running top speed and he was by all uh, those guys. Lighting. Yeah. He, man, he is, it's, it's so freakishly amazing. And I'm so glad that I went to the game because every game that I get to see him play is a true, like uh treasure to me because he's such a, a phenomenal athlete. And it's like, you know, I hope that he does great in the NFL because I really think that he has a possibility to. And, like, I'm just lucky that I am fortunate to have seen him. This is the third game I've seen him in person, and I've been very lucky to do that. And, you know, I'm excited for his future. I hope that he uh, – I hope whatever he decides, if he goes or stays, I would be happy for him regardless. Um, I think it would be good for him to stay because he could, like – you know, get a little bit more development. Plus it would be his second year in an offense that, um, you know, he would get more comfortable with and maybe they could like 
um, change some things a little bit in the off season and like make it a little tweak it a little bit. Um, but, um, Either way, I'm happy for the kid, and I'm so glad to be able to watch him play. And, you know, the offense was clicking. Like, I, I texted you, run the damn ball, you know? Like, yeah. that's all they had to do, and they did it. I mean, they had three players over 78 yards rushing. That's really damn good. And, uh, God, that one play that, that really sticks out to me was that uh, fourth down conversion yeah. when when it, like, broke down. And um, that was Mon- all ETN. <laughs> well, no, that was Montreal or Montreal. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so Montreal was the check down and AR just like comes to the side. And when I was looking at it in the stadium, I thought I couldn't tell for sure, but I thought he was across the line, but he was well behind it. I just couldn't tell. So it's like when you're behind the line, you can either pitch or throw or, uh, but it's, so it was like, it, you couldn't really tell, but uh it was just such a great play because he takes the the corner out of the play and he comes after AR and he just pitches or throws it to him at the last second. And Montreal was just off and he just made such a great run on it. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see where this team goes. This is a huge win winning on the road, beating, you know, I mean, A&M is kind of, it's kind of a dumpster fire right now, but still beating, getting a big, big win big like this. Too. Half that team was out with the flu too. Yeah, so. which you know that that helped a lot for the the Florida team. But at the same point, you know, if they lose that game, then it looks even worse. And they've lost games like that before against LSU, where there's been a lot of players out or like quitting or transferring or whatever. So it's like. It, it, you can make excuses all the time, like, oh, these people weren't there, but you still have to play the game. And if the teams don't show up, then, you know, it, it's going to be a problem, especially in this first year when you're trying to build a culture and you're trying to, like, make things happen and turn around what happened. And I just think – I think this is a pivotal moment. And I I texted you with this as well. When the end of the game, when the, the players were celebrating and the band was – you know, playing all the 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 songs for the fight songs and everything. Um, Billy comes out and he was just about to leave. And before he leaves, he stops in front of all the fans and does like the most emphatic gator chomp I've ever seen. Like he was like you could tell it was like one of those moments where he just was like, fuck, yeah. Like I you know, we needed this big time. You know, we've just gone through two losses the last three weeks, you know, they didn't get Carmine McLean. They, you know, just some, a lot of terrible things were going on. Like it just seemed like the momentum was like, like being lost with the, with the team. And so to finally like get a win like that, you know, get the second sec win. And you know what? That really is tough. Like he said, sec wins are hard to come by and they've, they have been this year. And um, I don't know. It just feels good to see that. And uh, I'm hopeful for the rest of the year. And then, as you know, like I said before last week, it's, uh, you know, if they finish out the year eight and four, that's a huge difference than like six and six. And I really think it's possible because I think they can easily beat South Carolina. And I definitely know they're going to be Vandy and the FSU game is going to be a coin flip. But I think they got a really good shot of eight and four, which would be phenomenal for the first year. I I, I agree. It's the game was very good. Like I said, what, what was good is that they finally took advantage of a weak opponent. Um, A&M, like I said, most of that team was out with the flu, but they didn't let that 
They were able to put the pedal to the metal in the second half. And I think they kind of just realized like, Hey, we are better than this team. It should not, they should not be leading us at the half. Um, Cause that, and I noticed that too. It was like the first time all year I noticed there was actually a defensive adjustment because Haynes King was carrying a and really uh, a caning of uh, the running back for um, A&M did really good. Um, but King was able to, you know, on those third down plays was able to get those first downs. Um, but I remember saying, and I've said this most of the year, I said, look w- with a guy like, Kane or these kind of pocket passing guys, if you just give them all the day, all day, they're going to find the open guy and they're going to get yeah. it in there. So you have to put pressure on them. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So they, and I was saying that while watching the game, I was like, look, the front three or four is not putting pressure, at least blitz pressure. And they were doing that in the second half. And it was a complete, like, Kane was a completely different quarterback. It showed that when he got uncomfortable, the Gators were able to force uh, him to make mistakes. And he threw a couple of ba- balls that were supposed to be picked. Um, other than that, yeah, the, the offense played good. Honestly, I remember I said this. We left almost, and I'm not exaggerating, close to 20 points on the table too. Um, I don't know what it was, but the red zone calling was honestly not good. Um, especially now, I get – the, you know, being aggressive, and I have no problem being aggressive, but in the situation that they were in, it was 34-24. It's already a two-possession game, but they went for, you know, the touchdown, and they didn't make it. I remember saying, like, just get the points there because it forces A&M to score two touchdowns instead of a touchdown and a field goal. So that was dumb, but luckily they were able to persevere and get through it. AR did a fantastic, had a great game. Um, for the most part, made smart decisions, and the running attack was terrific and was able to, you know, bail out some bad plays as well. Um, Etienne and Johnson, you know, another terrific game in the running. Uh, when the running game is clicking, it's really hard to stop. Uh, but good win and a big win, especially for the Gators, knowing that the last time they beat a Jimbo Fisher-led team was in – 2012, which was also the same year the last time they beat AM was in 2012, which I didn't realize until I looked it up and I was like, oh man, the last time we beat AM was also the last time we beat Fisher. So circle of life. Yeah. Um last two things I just wanted to say. Uh I really love that they're utilizing Ricky Persol on the the sweeps more because yeah. Ricky has more shake. Than Xavier Henderson. I love Henderson, but he's just, it's not his, not his forte, the sweeps. And so I think using Ricky is the smart move here. Hopefully next year they're getting like a lot more of those type of guys that can really do something on those sweeps. So we'll see a difference next year, but just to get through this year, I think they need to stick to Ricky running those because he's definitely the best at that. And he, he gets really good yardage on most of those plays. So I'm hoping they, they see that uh, last thing though. I, I, I didn't want, I didn't want to forget to mention this. I met a couple of uh, Florida Gator uh, parents of players uh one was a long snapper i forgot his name i think he was like 52 or 53 and i was just looking i couldn't i couldn't figure out which his name was but he was a great guy talked to him for a little bit then i talked to um 
uh, Tarquin's dad. Uh, his dad's oh. name is Jim Tarquin. Really great guy. Really nice guy. Really awesome to uh, talk to him. Um, just, uh, you know, uh, I'm. it seems like the parents are really happy with Billy. And I think that's key because if like, if like the parents really like what Billy is doing, then I think we're going to see momentum in like a lot of areas because it's like, you know, I'm sure Dan probably Dan Mullen rubbed people the wrong way last year, the last several years. And I just, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of, it's frustrating that, you know, the head coach of Florida Gators could be someone that I don't know, just lacks in recruiting. It, it, it boggles my mind that that could be something that happens yet. It did happen and it really set us back a little bit, but um, I think uh, going forward, they'll be fine and I'm excited. So on the flip side of that one team having a good hire now talking about USF Temple, well, I'm not even going to talk about the game because there's no need to talk about it. It was a blowout. Uh, USF loses 54-28. But the thing to note about this game was on Sunday afternoon, as I'm flying back from Austin, I open up my phone and boom, Jeff Scott is fired. So the Jeff Scott tenure is over. Um, he only won four games in three two and a half two and a half years nearly three years um just terrible you know it just i liked him i had such high hopes for his potential it seemed like he was capable of getting a lot out of this team but it never came to fruition um it just was bad result after bad result there were some close games you know, they played UCF tough last year. They played Florida tough this year. They played Cincinnati tough this year. Um, they just couldn't get over the hump. And it just, I don't know. It's tough as a USF fan that I've been following this team since its beginning. And, you know, I graduated from there and I worked in the athletic department. It's just tough to see them struggle like this, especially now that UCF, their biggest rival is moving on to the Big 12. And I don't know what's going to happen to USF. You know, it could be maybe 10 years until they get moved up to the Power Five. But the great thing about the college football expansion is regardless of where you are in a conference, you will have a chance if you are a good team to play in the playoffs. So as much as people are like, oh, it's going to set us back, I'm not too worried about it because it's like if USF goes undefeated or even one loss, they still have the potential of making that 12th seed, you know, like you don't think they're going to take a 12, like a, a 12 seed, like one of those smaller schools, you bet their ass they're going to take these smaller schools. Now, like there's going to be a lot of these kids, like a lot of these teams, Liberty's going to get in more often or not. Uh, Coastal Carolina is going to have a shot. You know, it's great for the sport to have these smaller schools come in and get a chance at this. And it's not the end of the world for USF and some of the uh, potential, um, hires i don't know there's been a lot of rumors about john gruden which i really hope they don't do i just don't he's older um he had those issues in the nfl with those emails i don't think his offense would really translate to the college game i don't really see how he would do well at usf but there is ties because he's obviously coached in tampa um you know the Talked about Jim Levitt, which I don't know about that. 
Uh, that would be hilarious. I, I don't think come back just out of spite, but man, that would be. <laughs> I I actually did hear some stuff today that they have been reaching out to him, the school, and that he is not reciprocating. So I don't know if they're like completely shutting the door. I don't think about I don't I don't know if they're going to hire him, but it just like it seems like he doesn't want anything to do with the school anymore. And it's a shame because he is the godfather of the school, you know, being the first coach. Um, but um, other names I'm hearing Scott Frost and I know me and you were talking about that before the show, that would be the most interesting hire because of the fact that he was UCF's uh, coach and to go to their rival would be, man, that would be crazy. And those UCF fans would flip their fucking lids. It would be hilarious. Um, another one is Dion Sanders uh, uh, currently at Jackson state. It's a possibility. I think he had been rumored as a potential hire when um, uh, he got hired at Jackson State. But uh, I don't think now he would go there. I think he's going to go for a bigger school. Um, And then – I don't know if I'd want him anyways. Like, I remember I said this. Like, me and my cousin were talking about it. He mentioned that. I was like, dude, I want a coach, not a celebrity. I honestly – and I'm – Full face honest. I don't really think he's a good coach. I think he's a great recruiter. Yeah. But I coaching wise, I I remember thinking at least with him, there was the game last year, their bowl game, the um, HBCU, and played, um, I forgot who they played, but it was like a three loss team. Um, but by all accounts, Jackson State, this should have been a layup. This should have been an easy win, and they were blown out. And I remember thinking, like, just watching the play calling, it was just so inept. There was no adjustment, so nothing. I was like, is that on the players or is that on the coach? And I just don't, like, I would like him as maybe, like, an assistant. It would be good for recruiting. But I'm not sure if I want to give him the keys to my program. Yeah. Um, The other ones mentioned have been some assistants. Um, The uh, offensive coordinator at – Oregon offensive coordinator at FSU and offensive coordinator at Tennessee, all very young guys with potential. They've obviously done very well offensively this year. Um, The one that was interesting to me that I saw was uh, the Indiana head coach. Um, He had been a defensive coordinator at USF at one point, and they did really well while he was there. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's kind of older, but would be interesting. I think one that has maybe some legs is the FAMU coach. Um, he has done up and down, had some really good years, but they, I guess they've been dealing with some sanctions and some other things there and that he might be a potential hire. Um, it'd be interesting. I mean, that's definitely outside of, you know, uh, normal avenues of approach, but I'm open to anything at this point. I just want the team to be good. I don't really give a fuck who the coach is. I like, I know you're like trying to shoot down Dion, but it's like at the same point, I just want, I want them to turn around because I want an on-campus stadium and I want the team to be competitive. It's just been so bad for the last like four, since I literally the second I moved, to California, 
uh, what is it? USF lost to UCF that like that Saturday, mm -hmm. the day before I left or that Friday. And it's been downhill literally ever since. Like, so I'm, I'm just tired of it. I just want to see a competitive team. Um, I would take like seven and five years, you know, eight and five, eight and four, whatever. But I mean, just, I'm just tired of winning only one or two games. Like you can't, support that and it should not happen at a school like usf the talent in the tampa bay area alone alone is the most fertile recruiting grounds out of almost any other area in the entire country except for maybe miami so mm -hmm. there's no excuse you don't even have to get the five stars you just need to get the low level four stars and the like decent three stars and you can be a competitive team. There's no reason you can't get those kids. There's plenty of kids that want to stay home that don't want to go to Michigan or they don't want to go to Michigan state or Cincinnati. They don't want to play at those schools. They would rather play at home so they could be near their parents. Like there's no reason why they can't do that by playing at USF. And it's just, I don't know what it is. It's like, it, it's been, because I had heard issues with Willie Taggart about recruiting the area. Charlie Strong was terrible at it. And I've heard some rumblings about Jeff Scott as well. I don't understand it. Like, connect with these coaches in the Tampa Bay area. Get the pipeline and shut it off. Like, you know, Howard Snellenberger used to talk about all the time about the state of Miami. And, like, literally, you shut off the area and you dominate that recruiting area. That's just what you do. And I don't, I, I just don't understand it. And I know that USF is behind on a lot of things. They don't have their own stadium. They did just get the indoor practice facility though. And that's about to open in the next little bit, maybe weeks or days. And um, the there's some athletic facilities that are upgrading and the on-campus stadium is definitely in the works. It just hasn't been like, finalized on certain things so it is turning around it's just it's just frustrating that jeff scott couldn't uh really get the wins that they needed but uh um before we move on i just want to hear your thoughts on the scenes i've been talking too much about it <laughs> yeah i would say i mean obviously he did not that's what it honestly boils down to is that he didn't win i did like him and i Hold, you know, everything goes well for him. I'm obviously, he would probably go back to Clemson. They'd probably need him as much as anybody. Um, I would, but in terms of like the coaching search, yeah, you want to make sure you get the right guy. But also, I, another thing I was talking about, uh, was with, you know, UCF, Cincy, Houston, um, leaving for the Big 12, the conference is going to get much more wide open. Um, UTSA is coming in, uh, but other than that, UAB, uh, FAU, North Texas, these schools that are coming in aren't, you know, these juggernauts. So the, the opportunity is there for USF to take it and run. Um, obviously, I would probably say a team like, you know, maybe like SMU, UTSA are the favorites for this new American. But I always, I always said, I was like, there's no reason with this new conference coming up that usf can't be, be that um and like if they you know get the right coach and i've always said um for usf is that recruiting does matter i completely agree with you is that 
if you can just get these kids to, you know, stay here, you don't even need to get, you know, these blue chips and all that. Cause I know you're not going to out recruit, you know, Florida, let alone when Georgia and Alabama come down uh, for these kids. But if you just say, Hey, come make it local and a couple, two or three stars work. That's why it was kind of pulling for Scott Frost. Uh, Cause it showed he can do that at UCF. Uh, Cause they had about the same amount of talent uh, and were able to go, uh, undefeated and he would be walking into a similar mess as he did at UCF. Um, I'm, but that's what I think it boils down to is that you have to have the right talent. And if you can, you know, coach it well, you know, you will be, you know, unstoppable, especially in the conference. So I, like I said, there's no reason they can't take advantage of this. And I hope whoever they hire is, you know, it's not a reach. It's a smart hire. The only other uh, name I wanted to mention um, was uh, Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator for TCU. That was another kind of sleeper pick mm-hmm. that I think yeah. would be pretty good because mm-hmm. uh, he's done great as the coordinator for TCU. And I get they just hired an offensive coordinator and that didn't work out for his first, first head coaching job. Um, but maybe, you know, that was like the only one of the coordinators. I was like, that one I would be more okay with. But I would probably say out of all of them, Scott Frost, I would like has shown he can win at that or maybe some guy who knows how to run a program. Cause I think that's what USF desperately needs right now is just to set the ship straight. Yep. And, uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm hopeful. Cause I, I really like the athletic director, um, Kelly at USF. And I really think he's been doing a lot of good things with the school and, um, I'm hopeful they can find someone there and uh, we can start getting some wins again because that would be really nice. So let's move on um, to the big game of the day. You know, the, uh, it just depended on which actual poll or whatever you took. You know, the best one was the CFP. You know, Tennessee was number one and Georgia, I believe, was number three, three in that poll last week. And um Game day was there, a lot of hype around this game. You know, a lot of people were saying that Tennessee was going to score 50 on them. And nope. um, <laughs> like 57 minutes through the game, they only had six points. So um, I, I'm not surprised that Georgia won because, I, you know, they were at home. That helps a lot, especially in a big game like this. Um I think I'm surprised that Tennessee's offense struggled as much as it did. Um, they didn't look very good. They, uh, I don't know, just it, they, they, the couple of downfield shots I saw them take, they were very off on. And that largely had to do with the pressure that was on Hendon Hooker because there was a lot of pressure on him, more so than he probably has felt all year. Um, they didn't really run the ball that well. They had less than hundred yards rushing, you know, that's going to have an effect on how you were able to pass. Um, they were average in this game. And when the rest of the year, they've been spectacular. Um, their pass defense is terrible. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, the one it, Achilles Hill was always their defense, especially yeah, their and, and especially the pass defense, because the pass defense is definitely one of the worst in the country. And, you know, Georgia exploited that. Um, I've been seeing a lot of Georgia fans talk about how they went conservative and that was them 
doing that on purpose. Uh, well, it rained a bunch in that second half. The reason why they went conservative is because uh, Stetson Bennett is not that good of a quarterback. And if it was raining as hard as it was, like when it was raining as hard as it was, he was going to have a terrible time throwing it. And I knew that's what was going to happen. And like, they, they shut it down and they just ran the ball. I mean, they're fortunate that they, they really had it. Well, they didn't have to, but I'm saying like, cause the, they, the fans made it seem like if Bennett actually threw, they they, they could have. But, like, no, if Bennett did throw, if they were trying to force the issue, he would have had at least a turnover or two. And they didn't, and they just ran the ball a bunch, and they won. Um, they didn't have, like, that crazy of a big rushing attack. Um, but they had such a big lead in the first half. You know, there was a big, a big chunk plays, um, passing plays when it wasn't raining. So they were up. I think they were up 27 to three at one point. Yep. And, you know, oh no, they were up 24 to three at one point. And then, you know, it was, it was pretty much over from that point. Um, but uh, I don't know. Cause it what like stats aren't like that. They don't tell too much because the yardage isn't that far off. And um uh, turnovers were even and time of possession was even. I just think the difference was the fact that Georgia really uh, jumped out really quick. I think Tennessee probably thought they could do like counteract that, but Georgia scored so quickly that it was like, you know, in the matter of the first quarter, it was basically over, you know, and it just, I don't know. I, I like Georgia's defense. I think their offense is competent, but I still don't like Setson Bennett. I mean, their offense is good with Brock Bowers and a, a good commit running back committee, um, but their wide receivers aren't that great. Um, their offensive line probably isn't as good as they've been in years past. It's still really good. Um but I think I think definitely their weakness is Bennett. If they play a team that is a good team with both sides of the ball, and I think the only real team that really is that is Ohio State. I don't think as much as Ohio State struggled against Northwestern, and we'll talk about that at some point. Um, I just don't I don't think that Georgia can compete with that because because if they're if the defense they're playing can contain Bennett, which I think is definitely possible. Like, I think he's played a lot of defenses that have been bad and have made him look better than he is. Um, I think that, and especially a team like with CJ Stroud and the wide receivers that they have in the running game that Ohio state has, I think that would be probably Georgia's worst nightmare. Like definitely out of any team left, um, and maybe even USC potentially, but I think I think Ohio State is definitely the biggest um, uh, hurdle for Georgia to get over now because I think they could easily beat LSU, and it looks like LSU is going to go. And the rest of their games are Mississippi State, Kentucky, and Georgia Tech, and I think they can win all three of those relatively easy. But um, uh, what are your thoughts, Ian? Yeah, this for me. This proved Georgia is, you know, that much better because um, they just suffocated Tennessee 
And I will mention too, Tennessee didn't do themselves any favors. I you have to learn when you're playing Georgia's defense is that you cannot afford to be stubborn. Because that's what happened to Alabama in the national championship. They kept running up the middle, and I kept on saying, you're running into a brick wall. And this game, they kept on having these deep route passes for Hendon uh, Hooker. And I remember saying, like, he's got one second. He's got one second, maybe a second and a half, and then he's getting hit. You cannot – he can't look to find where the, you know, free safety is, and whether he's coming in or coming out. And it just became one-dimensional for Tennessee and they had to rely on Hendon Hooker to, you know, win the game and he just couldn't because he was on his back most of the time. Um, but that that's a credit to George's defense is that they literally gave him nothing. Um, but Tennessee, like I said, the offense, I guess they were just so enamored of getting the big play that they weren't calling the right play. Cause I remember like you could tell Georgia was blitzing or at least they were, were going to get to him, but there were no short passes, no slants, they didn't have anything designed for Hendon Hooker to maybe run out of the box. And it just became, you know, like target practice for the linebackers and linemen for Georgia. Um, but with that, yeah, Georgia, you know, another, you know, good win. And honestly, it's their number one ranking to lose for the rest of the season. Um, they go, they'll go to the SEC championship and play likely LSU. We'll get to that. Um but with that defense, again, you know, that's a tough defense to crack. And I know offensively they're not as maybe flashy. But when you only – when you literally let what I still think is the best offense get one touchdown and that was in the fourth quarter, your offense doesn't need to be, you know, perfect. It just needs to be good enough. Yeah, so I'm just recalling it. But Florida had better stats than Tennessee – and scored more points. So like <laughs> true. And I, and it was a closer game into the third quarter as well. They got it into a one score game. But uh um I um it's funny because Tennessee doesn't have any more chances to prove themselves at all. They have to hope that Georgia loses two games <laughs> to really to to like get to the SEC championship. Cause I don't think I don't think right now – well, I don't know. It's tough because it's like Tennessee beating LSU really helps them a ton, especially if LSU wins. The more LSU wins, the better Tennessee is off. Like it almost would be like extremely important that LSU wins the SEC championship game because then uh, Tennessee would probably get in. If that does happen – everybody's going to lose their mind because it is probably going to be say that that does happen. Everybody is perfect throughout the year. LSU beats Georgia. It's very likely we get Tennessee, Georgia and LSU in the playoff because it's going to be really hard to tell LSU won the SEC championship and beat Georgia and Bama. No. Yeah. That would be extremely hard to say that I I don't see it happening, but you know, crazier things have happened. Um, it's wild, and then because it's like, I but I don't, Ian, I don't see how they can deny TCU this year. There's no, no way in hell. I would if, say that would probably be the you know, it depends. I mean, again, 
if TCU Got goes it. undefeated and beats the teams, like their schedule, the next little bit is tough, and the, the Big 12 championship is tough. So if they win the way that they're going to win the next couple of games and they don't get in, I would, man – I would be so livid if I were those TCU it's, it's, fans. It's likely you you get your Big Ten. It'd either be Michigan or Ohio State. There's no way. There's no way in hell that Michigan should get in this playoff if they lose to Ohio State. If they beat oh, Ohio no, no, State, no. Michigan's got to beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten. Yeah, there's if no way. It, God, if they if they got in. After losing to Ohio State, no, I will lose my happening. fucking it's mind. The only way they I get will in, lose my mind if that shit happens. That is whoever wins Ohio State, Michigan will probably. I mean, they got to win the Big Ten championship. But whoever wins I, that, they're going to the playoff. I don't have a problem with Ohio State potentially getting in with a one loss to Michigan because I think Ohio State's a way better team. But if no, if whoever loses that, they're out. They're out. I, I hope so because I really. I, I just think if they screw TCU over or even potentially Again. one of these Pac-12 schools, which could happen, it's just, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. And it's really, the other thing you have to realize with LSU is their loss to Florida State does not look good in any way. Like, no. like I know Florida State is potentially going to lose at least one more game. They have three opportunities, and I think most likely they might even lose two. So if they lose two more games, that's a seven and five team. Like to have lost to a seven and five team does not look good for getting into the playoff. But uh, let's move on because we could talk about this. Uh, just let's keep let's keep moving on because I want to get to some other things first. Okay, Syracuse Pitt. I want to mention it because Syracuse is going up against Florida State next week. They lose nineteen to nine to Pitt. Uh, Slovis. Played okay. You know who actually played in this game? Did you see who was the starter for Pitt or for Syracuse? Not, not, um, it was, um, Del Rio. Yeah, Del Rio Wilson. So he, the former, uh, Florida backup, he, yeah. uh, um, transferred to Syracuse and he got the start. I don't know what's going on with their starter. I didn't see, but they struggled mightily. And, um, I don't know. I, I had, High hopes for the Syracuse team, but they're kind of like falling apart. Um, they're definitely a better team at home. They feed off that home crowd energy, and they play a lot tougher. Uh, they have Florida State next week at home. I think they should beat them because I like Syracuse's defense, which I think they can hold Florida State in check. And if that's the case, they just got to, I don't know, do enough to get – to get that win, but anything from this game that stands out? Yeah, I, I agree. I think once you take them out of the carrier dome, it is not, you know, the same game. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, what Pitt did defensively is what was key in this one. They knew, okay, Del Rio Wilson is in, he's the backup, so you are going to attack that running game, and that's exactly what they did. Tucker only got, I think, 19 yards rushing. And that that's yeah. not enough, and right. especially with the offense that relies on him, and Pitch has dominated the whole game. I believe they had, I know they had almost forty minutes of possession time, and they almost they had yeah. almost three hundred and fifty yards. Um, so it was a very you know slow muddy game, but Pitt just you know put them in a headlock and just wouldn't let go throughout the game. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's move on. 
I know you love this game, Liberty, Arkansas. I want to let you talk about it. Yeah, the um, I kind of I I wasn't going to say this was going to be my upset pick, but I did mm. call this one was going to be close. Yeah, um, and I wasn't, you know, I guess I wouldn't technically count as an upset because Liberty was actually ranked higher than Arkansas. Right. Um, but yeah, Liberty, um, they were able, you know, to come out and just come out firing. They were able to, you know, once they went up 21, nothing, you know, they were able to take advantage of that hot start. They almost blew it though. And I was almost for sure. Like this is going to be one of those games that, you know, an sec team is going to sneak out of this, uh, and get away scot-free, but Liberty hung on the, honestly, I just think they took their, their foot off the gas. And once, you know, it was like going down a grease pole, but they were able, like I said, they were off to that fast start and defensively were able to answer KJ Jefferson. Um, and again, it's one of those situations where he has to find a way to win the game. Uh, but uh, Bennett, the uh, quarterback for Liberty and especially uh, Douglas, the uh, receiver, I think he had almost 150 yards uh, receiving. Um huge absolutely huge uh games from them and they don't win without uh that kind of performance um and defense we did a great job to at least you know keep arkansas at bay for as long as possible um i do think arkansas definitely shot themselves more they're very you know one-dimensional play calling and we're not you know being creative they're playing it like they were playing you know like uh, you know this was a tune-up game, and I guess on the beginning of the year it was, but Liberty's not a layup anymore. Um, so good win. Honestly, the better team won. Liberty played better and outplayed and outcoached Arkansas. Yeah, and that, that's what uh, I don't think a lot of people – because I was listening to the announcers talk about the game as I was watching the highlights – I don't think they realized how they how good Liberty is. Like I think they like really thought it was going to be like an easy win for Arkansas. And I'm just like, man, are these people? Are they? Did they just not follow college football or something? I don't know. It was weird. It was bizarre listening to them. Maybe it was just out of context, and I didn't hear the whole thing, and I just was not getting all the whole story. But it just sounded like the people that were announcing it had no idea how good Liberty was. Um, and I know, you know, cause you've been on top of them since like the last three, four years. Um, but, uh, I'm surprised that Arkansas has limped to this five and four record. They had a very hard non-conference schedule. Um, Cincinnati, Liberty, BYU, like those are not layups in any way. It's not, uh, you know, Western Carolina or, uh, you know, I don't know, some tomato can, whatever, Eastern Washington. You know, yeah. these were difficult schools that would challenge them. You know, Cincinnati definitely took it to them um, and BYU as well. So it just finally was too much. And it's funny because um, this Arkansas team had such high expectations but just couldn't. I don't know. They just, you know, that one loss to AM really, really changed the trajectory of the season. I heard someone else talking about it today, Pat Dooley on uh uh the tailgate and um 
uh, in Gainesville talking about how, you know, they missed that uh, field goal and it's like everything really pretty much reverberated throughout the whole season. And it just changed everything. I don't know. I still think Sam's a good coach. I think they just need to, uh, you know, finish off this year and maybe figure things out next year. And I think they'll be a solid eight, nine win team, which I think, if you're an Arkansas fan, you should be happy with like eight, nine wins is probably your, like, that's where your tier is. Like, you're not, you're not the top tier, you know, you just, I don't think you ever will be. It's kind of difficult unless you're getting like the top tier recruits, which you're not going to get. So, okay. Moving on the other game of the day, which was a much better, very even back and forth, crazy game with, one of the most wild endings I've ever seen. Um, LSU wins 32-31 in overtime. Just a awesome game. I saw midway through the fourth until the end and then overtime. Just a just phenomenal. It's just what college football is all about. Um, I loved it. Uh, so glad that I got to see it. And um, it... I'm surprised. I would have thought that Alabama would have won this by like 10 points almost, but they never really could, um, you know, take advantage of LSU. And LSU, Jaden Daniels is really good. You know, it's kind of amazing that this team was written off after that bad loss to uh, Tennessee, and you would have thought their season was over. But then they come back against Florida. They beat Ole Miss. I mean, they just have been, you know, doing quite well since that loss to Tennessee. And now with – I mean, I'll just say that Brian Kelly has the biggest balls for calling that um, uh, two-point play in overtime because – well, I'm never going to get, like I said, when it's those situations, I'm never going to get on a coach for that because I'm, I'm like, at least he's going for the win. That was, honestly, that was one of the the best things you could ever do. And you're right, because it's like, you give yourself, this is this is it. You, you give yourself the opportunity to win it. And instead of letting the other team dictate what happens you dictate what happens and you be the aggressor and you force the issue and it was a great play call i thought it was a pick play i don't know if you saw I see, yeah i saw it. it it kind of looked like a pick play a lot of those you know end zone plays are basically pick plays so it's like what do you do you could probably call it on almost every offensive touchdown especially passing wise down there. Um, So I don't know, but they win and, you know, the LSU fans storm the field. And, uh, and like we said, LSU is now in the driver's seat for the West uh, division and to get to Atlanta. And I never would have thought I would have said that in the beginning of the year. I, I would have said you're crazy. There's no way. I mean, I had them pegged for like, five losses, which honestly is still out there. Like, you know, um, Arkansas is not a terrible team that it's on the road. We'll talk about that game later. I mean, UAB, they should beat, but 
in that Texas A&M game, it's always been crazy. There's always been weird results in that A&M game. You know, the, the crazy overtime one yeah. a couple of years ago. All, all kinds of weird chat has happened in that game. Um, okay, so what are your thoughts before we move on? Yeah, this was – LSU took, again, not taking it away from LSU, but, man, I don't know what's wrong with Alabama. Like, this is uh, – uh, Paul Feynman said this, and I don't think he's honestly wrong. This has been probably one of Nick Saban's worst coaching, coaching jobs since he's been in Alabama. I, it's just the over-reliance on uh, Bryce Young. And honest, and I've said this, and I still stand by it. If he's not the quarterback, Alabama probably loses a couple more games this year. Uh, he's really bailed this team out. But there's only so much one guy can do. Um, the play calling, again, it's, it's just Bryce Young, you know, you know, save the day is what it feels like. Um, and the defense did all they could, honestly. I don't think the defense did terrible. They were able to hold them to uh, – I mean, they did almost give up 400 yards. But still, in, you know, with LSU, I think they won the time of possession battle and they were at least able to not let them score at will. Like, you know, we have seen that offense do, especially with Jaden Daniels. They did a good job containing him. But there was just no help, and that's what it was. It was that it seemed like it was only like three guys were actually playing for Bama, and it was a whole team for LSU playing. Um, and LSU just jumped on them. And like I said, uh, credit where credit's due. Um, I'm never going to get on a coach for you know not you know for going for a win. So when he called the two point conversion, I said, even if he doesn't make this, at least he's going for the win. And LSU played you know as exactly how they were supposed to and Alabama played exactly how not supposed to pretty much uh that game so it's gotta be humbling for Nick Saban in Alabama but for LSU the sky's the limit yeah I, it's probably over for Alabama because two losses is too much um even though they only lost by four points between the two losses and to two teams yeah. that are in the top 10. But uh, um, I think that's it for them. It would be kind of mirac- miraculous if they ended up um, doing anything in it, but crazier things have happened. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, Clemson, Notre Dame, probably the biggest upset of the day because Clemson was number four and Notre Dame was unranked at that point. Um, Notre Dame quietly back from the dead. They lost to Ohio State. They lost to Marshall. Um, they had another loss to Stanford, which is still surprising. But they, um, they've been, you know, getting better every week. And, you know, uh, I don't know. This Clemson team just has not been amazing. And they've been kind of just lucky to win some of the games that they have. Um, Notre Dame gets two non-offensive touchdowns, a blocked punt for a touchdown and a pick six, probably the biggest difference in the game. Cause if they don't get those, it's only a one score game. So that pretty much changed the whole trajectory of the, uh, of the game. But I will say the last score that, Clemson had was like with like a minute left. So it was like a very garbage time touchdown. So it still would have been like seven to 21, even without those uh, other two touchdowns. Um, but uh, 
I don't know. Just Clemson's gone. I don't think they have a shot in hell to get in the CFP now. Like one loss is too many for them, no matter how well Notre Dame does the rest of the year. But um, I don't know. What, what are you thinking on this one, Ian? No, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, they got buried um, and just, you know, got caught with their uh, pants down. And Notre Dame honestly <laughs> didn't play that, you know, great of a game. Clemson had every chance to, you know, get back into that game. Um, but it was like too little too late, especially in the fourth quarter. Yeah. You know, they scored the touchdown to start the quarter, Notre Dame. So now you're down 21 nothing, And then on the ensuing drive, it's you're at, you know, you drive down the field and you give up almost like a hundred yard pick six and that's game. And it was, you know, very disappointing for Clemson. Cause I do think Clemson was better as a team. They just didn't show it and they have to pay the price for it. I think they were just coasting. There were a lot of games, Wake Forest, Syracuse, they were getting away with it, but that can only work so much. And, you know, Notre Dame, you know, definitely bit them for it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, moving on. Uh, I'm not surprised with this one because Miami's terrible this year, but uh, just a stomping. Florida State, 45-3. to I mean, Miami couldn't tackle to save their life. And, um, you know, Florida State was running all over them. Um, Their stats aren't like that crazy different. Well, I guess it was 225 passing 229 on the ground. I guess it is a lot more than I thought. Just was looking at the breakdown of each player. I guess they ran it a lot with a bunch of players, and then one guy had over 100 yards. But um, God, Miami only had 62 passing yards. It's just – I don't know what happened to Tyler Van Dyke. Like, he was all hyped up in the offseason, and he did quite well last year halfway through to the end. But – this year, I don't know if he's injured or what's going on. He just doesn't have it. And uh, I don't know, these Miami fans have been hop, you know, popping off because they got Cromani McLean and they've been getting these other recruits, uh, Jaden Rashada and like, you know, uh, the big backer, the donor is that Ruiz, that uh, attorney that's a real s- scumbag. And, you know, they're, um, they've been getting these recruits, but it's like uh, on the field, it doesn't look that good. It looks, I don't know, like Florida is not, they're like a little bit behind with what Miami's doing recruiting, but Florida's still doing good recruiting wise. But on the field, like Florida looks way better than Miami on the field. Like, Miami looks incompetent and, uh, you know, four turnovers, nine penalties. Um, they only had, they only had the ball for 52 plays, 13 first downs. Like it's just, it's ugly. It's terrible. They had less than 200 yards of total offense, 3.6 yards per play. That is atrocious. And like Florida is like, they're not committing turnovers. They're not committing penalties. And they're just kind of getting like timing issues and making the right reads as far as the passing game. But their running game is really good. And it's like, I don't know, Miami fans, I don't know what they're thinking with this. I don't know if they're like 
fire this guy because they paid so much money for him. And then, like, then the other thing is like, where do you go if Mario Cristobal is not the guy? And well, that's what I, they're going to keep him. It's it's. Oh, Cristobal I know. But that's what I'm saying. Like, what? Like, if he's not the guy, then who is the guy? Because they've been they're running out of candidates at this point. You know, like I don't know. Like they had Diaz. You know, uh, it doesn't seem like it's been working, and it's. I don't know. I what 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 stands out from this to, to you, Ian? So. I'm going to give, again, same thing I'll give Florida, as much as I've been on them. I'm going to give them a pass for this year, and at least they're recruiting defensive talent. Same thing I've said about Florida. Both teams at least recognize what the problem is. It's defense. Yeah. Um, so I'll give them that. But, yeah, this was not – this was the equivalent of when it was, like, the 90s and Florida State beat them, like, 48 to nothing. Oh, it yeah, was, I remember that game, yeah. Yeah, it was. This was not even close. I mean, you know, Miami scored in the first quarter on a field goal, and then they couldn't score since. And yeah, again, the four turnovers was crippling for Miami. And I'll give credit where credit's due. Florida State jumped on them, and it being a rivalry game, had no problem running up the score. So, I mean, Florida State definitely showed. You know, they were the better team, and have you know now the rivalry has swinged in their favor. Um, what's also worth mentioning is that Florida State has now qualified for a bowl game for the first time in one, two, three, four, holy cow, four years. Um, but for Miami, it's definitely not what you want to see. But again, going to give them a pass. It's the first year, not either everybody's injured or not, you know, in the positions and at least they're recruiting the right guys. But for Florida State, they did their business and they took advantage of a weak opponent. Yeah, and uh, it's setting up for, um, you know, an interesting game between Florida and Florida State. I um, At this point, it's probably a 50-50 game, but I am excited because uh, AR had a really good um, second half against FSU last year. And, you know, the running attack is really good. I really think that Florida could really play well offensively against them. Uh, what scares me most about the Florida-Florida State game would be Florida's defense, which I know would give up a lot of plays, which I'm like, oh, God. But um, – I think their offense would be uh, competitive in that game, and I think they could actually put up some points. Okay, moving on. Wake Forest, NC State. Um, Sam Hartman is just falling off, man. Like three interceptions. Just I don't know what happened. I don't know if he's just like in his own head or something. He had almost 400 yards passing, but just just atrocious. And they only ran the ball like – uh, says so 17 rushing yards. How how do you have only 17 rushing yards? That's with, with well, their yeah. offense, with like the the run play auction, the RPO that they do. Like, how do they have less than seven? Uh, they should have like 50 yards no matter what because it's so difficult to like decipher when he's going to run the ball, you know, or throw it. Uh, but just terrible. Um, 
I was talking to someone that was an NC State fan as the game was going on. He said that the uh, quarterback that came in um, was a four-star that they're excited about and that um, I don't know why that other guy was playing when he did the that backup that wasn't very good, but they should have gone to this guy when uh, Leary went down. I don't know why they didn't. Um, he obviously is competent, you know, they beat Wake Forest and, uh, NC state with the two losses, um, what did they lose to Clemson and they lost to, I'm trying to think their other loss. They lost to Clemson and Syracuse. Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. So two losses, um, kind of tough to get back in the mix for the, uh, ACC division, but, um, I don't know. It'll still be a good year for them if they finish out and try to go 10 and two, the rest of their schedule is Boston college, which they should win. Louisville will be tough, but then the UNC game would be really tough because, um, Drake may can score some points on them, but their defense sucks. So maybe NC state could move the ball, but, uh, anything that stands out from this game for you? Well, it, at least for, you know, in the defense of Sam Hartman, I mean, this is another example where they just told him, you know, they just gave up on the running game, and I don't know why, is that the running attack is what makes that team so dangerous. And they just bailed on it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they just had a rushing touchdown early, and they were up 14-10 to 10 at one point. And it just, you know, stalled out. And I don't, and again, it goes back to, you know, why did you give up on it? They outgamed NC state and, but the turnovers were killing them because they didn't have the ball as much. And when it came down to it, it was technically a two possession game, but into the fourth quarter, it was 27, 21. It's a one possession game. And the defense just, you know, was able to stop them. And the offense stalled out. So, honestly, it's disappointing for Wake Forest. A good win for NC State. They definitely um, – that is a big boost for them, uh, knocking off uh, Wake Forest, who NC State, you know, this is an upset, clearly, for them. Um, but for Wake Forest, this is definitely a little blow. Yeah, and uh, just uh, – I don't know. I'm really surprised with Sam Hartman. I would have thought he would have – finish off the year, especially, you know, after last year when they won the division and got to the ACC championship game, but oh, well, all right. Uh, moving on real quick. I'm just going to just go over this one. We don't have to talk about it. Real, uh, just USC wins 41 35. I think it was, the score was closer than it actually was, you know, Cal's kind of scored some garbage points, but um, I still like USC going forward. Okay. Moving on Texas tech TCU. Um, this is, one of my favorite teams right now, um, and I know we've talked about them all year, their offense is really good. Um, you know, I just realized that uh, Tyler Show, the guy from Oregon, was at Texas Tech. I totally forgot about that guy. Yeah. And he was there and just played terrible. He's just not a good quarterback. And uh, Max Duggan had a decent game, not a great game. And, you know, the the big thing is Kendra Miller um, or Keandre Miller. I think that's how you say Keandre. Uh, 158 yards on the ground in a TD. He's just 
kid's really, really good. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, playmakers on this team. And that's another team that could give teams fits. Um, I, I really want to see if they can get through this gauntlet um, coming up the next three weeks and then in potentially with the Big 12 um, championship game because next week they have Texas, then they have Baylor, then Iowa State. The Baylor-Iowa State games are a little bit more winnable. They're still tough teams, but that Texas game is going to be – woo. That yeah. is going to be a tough game, and it's in Austin, and um, both of those teams are top uh, the top teams in the standings for the Big Twelve. So it may not hurt either one, um, because like if TCU win or loses, they still would get a shot at it. And I think Texas, if they lose. I think they would have a shot because they could beat Kansas and Baylor. And I think Baylor is the other school with a chance at it. Um, but uh, let me see. But Baylor, where is it? Baylor, it's a three-way tie with them and Kansas State. I can't remember if Baylor beat Kansas State or not. No, they play each other this week. Okay, so that's that's actually a huge game then, the Kansas State-Baylor game as well, because that could decide um, how things go for either Texas or um, or, or for Texas specifically. Because if Texas loses that game, they still would have a shot against um, Baylor uh, because Kansas State would get eliminated. And then um, just a lot of scenarios because there's uh, – three or four good teams there. Um, I really like this team and I'm hoping the best for this team because I want to see someone different and TCU would be that different team. What are your thoughts, Ian? No, I I think TCU has shown that they are, you know, have overtaken obviously OK State as the best team in the Big 12. Um, And they've proved it. They've clearly proved they are the better team and the best chance for any Big 12 team to get in. Now they're going to have to Prove it again. They're at Texas. Not an easy game. Then they got to go at Baylor and Iowa State. Uh, should be a layup, but they have won uh, and you know answered the bell for every game, um, especially against a rather difficult uh, schedule. They had their out of conference game was SMU, which was not a layup. Uh, they blew out Oklahoma, Kansas, which has been a uh, you know sticky team. They beat. Oklahoma State, which was a complete team they beat, and K-State, which was, you know, another team that wouldn't get away, they've answered the call for a lot of teams that have had trouble staying undefeated in this conference. And I can't really think of anybody else um, to head the Big 12 than TCU. They proved that they should at least belong in the playoff uh, conversation. Yeah. Okay. Um Let's move on. Just real quick, Michigan State, Illinois. Michigan State wins 23-15. I really never thought Illinois was that great. You know, they had seven and one start, but um, they do have a game against Michigan will be interesting because they have a good defense. But again, those numbers for the Big Ten are very overrated because besides Ohio State, 
None of these and other Michigan. teams. Uh, but they don't have a good Quite offense. <laughs> they don't have a good off. They don't have a good offense. Their running attack is good, but their passing attack is terrible. And that's what I'm saying is like the offenses in the Big Ten are terrible. And overall, like I'm talking about as a conference as a whole compared to other other leagues. Big 12's got good good offense. Pac-12's got good offense, and SEC has very good offenses as well. So all those conferences compared to the Big Ten are much better um than uh than the big 10 and that's why their numbers are inflated so it's like when they don't play anyone like if they're only playing an offense that only averages 150 yards a game it's really easy to keep them to 150 or 120 yards you know what i'm saying like that's yeah. what the difference is with like lsu or um whatever tennessee or uh ucla or all these other schools they're going up against good offenses all the time throughout the year so it's it's a little bit different it's kind of bizarre the way big 10 is so backwards in uh how they run offenses they have very good linemen that come out of uh these schools and decent defensive players you know Micah Parsons came from Penn State and mm-hmm. some good DBs that come out of Ohio State and I actually take I take Ohio State out of the question because Ohio State recruits nationally and especially especially Florida so like they're a different school than the rest of these schools because the rest of the schools have to recruit in the Midwest and Northeast but um like I don't know it just seems like their offenses suck so bad, so that's the reason why their defenses are ranked as high as they are. But I'm moving on from this because I don't really care for the Big Ten, and you know that. Yeah. Um, Texas, Kansas State, like we said we were talking about earlier, Texas gets this win, 34-27, kind of a huge win because Kansas or Texas could have been completely eliminated from stuff, but now they're in the driver's seat, have everything to play for for the rest of the year. Bijan Robinson was ridiculous in this game you know 209 yards just one td um but just filthy and quinn ewers didn't have a terrible game but he just didn't didn't really like impress that much he played well enough to win and that was the important part and i think they were in control most of the game i mean they were up um 31 10 at halftime. So if you're up at that point, like that big, like you're more than likely going to win. And Kansas State came back and scored a little bit, but it was pretty much uh, Texas's game to win. But what are your thoughts, Ian? Yeah. The, um, like I said, when you have a balanced attack, it's really tough to stop. And especially with B. John Robinson, he, like when you watch the highlights, they couldn't tackle him. He was at least I, he was at least going to break one or two tackles every time he touched the ball, which is pretty remarkable because um, he was going straight up the gut on a lot of these runs and just blowing through uh, these K State defenders. Um, and you know this is a very good game. Um, you know K State was fighting to come back, but that late uh, fumble um, sealed the deal as Texas recovered. Um, it, Texas got out to that, you know, big lead. They went up, you know, 31 to 10 going into the half. Um, they got complacent, really. Um, they weren't, you know, kind of, you know, mixing play calls. And I think that was what was key is that Robinson was getting those runs off through pa- pass plays. So it was kind of softening that uh, linebacking core. Um, but Texas, you know, gets a big win. Um, and 
like you said, they're they're still in the hunt in the Big 12. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, moving on, last game, and then we'll get into the rest of the business of the day. UCF Memphis. Uh, UCF wins 35-28. Uh, Mikey Keene is now pretty much entrenched as a starter there. I think, I don't know. I don't know. John Rice Promley is just hurt. Um, their running back, RJ Harvey, had a really good game, 151 yards. Um, Memphis got it within one score. It was close, but uh, UCF wins, and now they're 7-2, and two, setting up a big game this week in New Orleans against Tulane. Um, real quick, what are your thoughts on this before we go on? Yeah, uh, pretty back and forth, kind of a stereotypical, you know, American conference, pretty even. Um, great uh, job by UCF to, you know, pull away there um, from a Memphis team that has been very sticky with a lot of teams. But again, it's that balanced attack of running and passing. Um, and like, like you said, Keen um, definitely had a big day um, and uh, Harvey running it as well. They were able to keep Memphis off balance um, and get the plays, especially. Uh, um, once they got up two possessions and they had a, I think it was a six play 50 something yard drive. And once they got up two possessions, that was all they needed because they were able to burn off a lot of clock. Yeah. And I, I'll give credit to UCF. I, I don't like their fans, but at least their team is a quality team. And, um, you know, this is a big matchup coming up and we'll talk about it in the uh, look ahead. Okay. So that is the week 10 recap. Now we're going to move on to the Heisman standings. I really only think there's three possible team uh, players here. Um, some of the other ones like Stetson Bennett and Hendon Hooker. Bennett only has 11 passing touchdowns. I don't believe he has a shot now at getting the Heisman. I don't, I, there's no way that they give someone with that low of uh, passing touchdowns, the Heisman, but um, Hennon Hooker, the reason why I don't believe he'll do it is because his numbers aren't through the roof and he just lost there at his biggest opportunity. So I don't think he deserves to get it now. But the three that I have are CJ Stroud. I still think he's amazing. Caleb Williams is just through the roof. He only has one interception in like 28 TDs. And Drake May just numbers galore. So those three, I think, are the, I think they stand out. Out of all, like out of everyone, like I think their numbers are just better than everyone else. And I think that's who I have. And I don't even have any other sleepers. That's the only three I want to New York as of right now. Who you got, Ian? Uh, I'm a, I'm almost the same. Uh, Drake May I, I was the one I put in there or mine. I would also mention, you know, Charmino of UCLA. Yeah. Blake Corum still uh, is one of the best, if not the best running back in the nation. And Brock Bauer still the most physical tight end uh, in the country. But Bowers doesn't have the numbers, though. Like, that's the problem. I, he doesn't, but I would say and it's, it's because of Bennett. To, you know, it, it's because of Bennett. If he had a better quarterback, his numbers would be like 15 touchdowns or something like that. But I think he has like five receiving, which is not – I mean, as much – I know he's a great talent, but he's not He's not up there with the numbers. That's That's like as much as – Anything with the Heisman, I think you have to have numbers that stand out. That's really what the last several years have really proven more than anything. If your numbers don't stand out, then 
you're not going to win. Okay. Uh, moving on to the playoff teams. Who do you got as your, uh, your teams? You can say the your first two out and then you can do your four any way you want to do it. Yeah. So I'm number one, uh, Georgia, obviously, um, number two, I'm going to keep Ohio State at two, even though they didn't play good. But with all the chaos that happened, I'm keeping Ohio State at two. TCU at three. Michigan goes to four. Tennessee is at five. Oregon at six. Okay, so you had UGA, Ohio State. What was three? Uh, TCU. TCU, and what was four? Michigan. Michigan, Okay. Um, I have Ohio State number one because I still think they're the best team. I think this this is my what will happen at the end of the year. Ohio State one, UGA two, TCU three, USC four. I have Tennessee five and Michigan six. Okay, I think what's what's more than likely going to happen with all this is. It's actually hard to say. This is probably when we talked about this earlier this year, how this is the most like difficult choices that they're going to have to make as far as the playoff that they've probably ever had to go through. Yeah. And because the Pac-12 is doing so well and they're not disappearing and you know, with TCU potentially there and now the SEC throwing a wrench in with LSU. So now it's like complete chaos because now it's like you've got Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, TCU, um, UCLA, USC, Oregon. That's eight teams. God, why can't we just have an expanded playoff so all these teams can play each other? I know, but I'm saying like now, because this would be the perfect year to showcase why an expanded playoff it like works because it's like in the the expanded playoff, you get the actual games being played instead of like, oh, we need to only have a certain amount of teams. I think all those teams are quality, and I think they could all play against each other potentially. And we're going to get robbed of that this year. Hopefully they figure this stuff out sooner than later so we do not have to go through these conversations ever again. But uh, this is where we are. Let's move on. Let's do these games really quick. There's not as many games this week. Um so I got Missouri, uh, Tennessee is the first game. Ian, what do you got in this one? I think Tennessee bounces back. And Missouri, you know, defense has shown that they can hang with teams, but I think, you know, they're facing a better, you know, a, a much weaker opponent. So I'm going to take the Volunteers. I'll go 38-13. to 38-13. to 13. Um. I think that Missouri's defense is pretty damn good. They were able to keep um, um, Georgia in check for the most part. And I think that Missouri's going to be able to do something here. I don't know what. Their their DBs are not that great. Um, I think... I think it'll be like a 10 point game and I'm going to say like Tennessee wins like 30 to like 20. Cause I don't think Tennessee's defense is good enough to really like 
completely shut down Missouri. Okay, next game is LSU Arkansas. I I like Arkansas in this game, and I'll tell you why. I just feel it's in Fayetteville on the road. Um, they just lost the Liberty, but now it's a rivalry game. So they've got a little more amped up here. And um, I know LSU's riding high after that win against Alabama, but this is a big like letdown game. Like after that high of that win, now they have to come into Arkansas and try to beat the Hogs. I think Arkansas can win this one. I'm going to say it's going to be close. I'm going to say it's going to be like a 31 to like 28 game, real close game. What do you got, Ian? Um, I'm going to take LSU in this one, but yeah. I think it'll be close. Yeah. Because um, Arkansas's defense should have shown there haven't been consistent enough yeah. um, against these high-powered offenses. So, I mean, for example, I mean, Mississippi State, you know, they put 40 on them. Um, but I'm – so I'm going to take LSU in this one. I think Jane Daniels has a good game. I'm going to go – I think Arkansas's offense and K.J. Jefferson keeps it close, but I'm going to take LSU 30-24. to 30-24. to 24. Okay, next one, SMU-USF. I'm only putting this one on here because I want to see what your thoughts are if they can, like, actually get a win after firing the coach. Not against SMU. <laughs> <laughs> not, not with how bad that defense – Defenses and now you got to play SMU. No, you, you gave up fifty to, to you know Temple, and now you got to play probably the best offense in the American. No, SMU runs away with this one. I'm going to go Mustangs, uh, forty-two to twenty. I'm going to say it's going to be an interesting game. I'm going to say USF puts up a fight, and I'm going to say they lose by 10, 34, 24. Okay, Alabama, Ole Miss. Um, could have been a huge game, um, but now it's only really huge for Ole Miss. Um, Ole Miss only has one loss, so they still have the potential of getting into um, the SEC championship game. This is a team we haven't talked about. You know, this is a team that their defense is not as strong, which is probably their weakest aspect of their game, but their offense can move the ball. They run the ball extremely well. And um, Jackson Dart makes enough plays to to beat teams. Do they have enough to win this game? I don't know, man. I The last two years, Ole Miss has not played well against Bama. Actually, you know what? I take that back. In that COVID year, they actually were like back and, and forth with them. Yeah, yeah, I forgot that. But last year, they were like destroyed. But this game is in Oxford. Uh, so it's at home for Al- Ole Miss. Um I can see Ole Miss. God, it's tough. I'm thinking Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss loses. I'm going to say Alabama rebounds and wins like 34 to like 27. That's what I got. What do you got? Um, I'm going to go with Bryce Young bailing them out again. Um, I'll go with Alabama winning in a honestly a shootout. I'm going to go 38-34 Bama. 34. Okay, Louisville Clemson. Does Clemson rebound, Ian? Um, Louisville's been a tricky team, <laughs> but mm-hmm. this one, 
Louisville's defense has really been crippling and Clemson's Clemson's defense, and we've seen Louisville when they play tough defense, doesn't do too good. So I think Clemson does take care of business, maybe not run away with it, but Clemson will win this one 31 to 14. Um I don't know, man. Clemson has just been kind of very, very hot and cold. I can see them winning this game, but I could also see Louisville just making a making it very challenging for them. I'm going to say Clemson wins, but I'm going to say it's going to be like a 27 to 20 game. A lot closer. Um, UCF Tulane maybe the game of the day besides the Alabama Ole Miss game. What, what do you got in this one, Ian? Yeah, this is, you know, Tulane's defense has really been the crux of uh, their seasons so far. And now they got to face, you know, the cream of the crop. UCF has the most talent of anybody in the American, pretty much. Um, so this is honestly a coin flip for me. But I'm going to take the upset and I'm going to take UCF winning this one because they've been in these situations. And I think the offense is going to be able to find a way to wiggle out of this one. So I'm going to take UCF winning this one in a tight one. I'm going to go 26-22 for UCF. I got a close one as well. I think, like I said, it's a coin flip. So I think I think you're going to go – I'm going with the home team. I'm going to say Tulane, 31-29. Okay, South Carolina, Florida. Um, you know, when people were talking about the, the latter part of the season for Florida, they were like, you know, for, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we're like, oh man, they got, they got Texas A&M and South Carolina and, you know, it's going to be real tough, but now it's like they beat A&M and South Carolina doesn't look so hot after getting handled by Missouri. And I don't think this game is as daunting as it seems. And I think Florida is a better team. Offensively, they're definitely a better team. And South Carolina's offense does not scare me in any way. Like Rattler just looks lost and their offense is just putrid. But Florida's defense has been terrible this year. So maybe Rattler can run roughshod through them. I don't know. But the def- the probably the key to the game is if Florida can prevent South Carolina from getting those special teams plays that really have been the difference in some of their wins, especially against Kentucky um, and AM. If they can prevent, you know, a big return on a kickoff, a blocked punt, if they can prevent those things, I think they stand a chance to win this game. And I think they can win like at least by 10 points. I'm going to say Florida wins like 34 to 22. That's what I got. What do you got, Ian? The thing that just scares me about it is, again, it's the defense. Yeah. And as a mobile quarterback and Florida's defense has really struggled to handle Hendon Hooker, uh, Jaden Daniels, for example. And that's what I'm worried about is when it's like, how do you stop the guys that are supposed to make these plays? And that's what, like, that's why I'm struggling with this. Cause I don't feel comfortable with that kind of, uh, 
defense. Now, on the other hand, South Carolina, I think Florida has the better offense, but it's it honestly might come down to who gets the ball last. I I don't know. I I just don't really trust the defense too much. I might take South Carolina in this one, only for the fact that that defense I just don't trust against a mobile quarterback. All their wins have almost all – I'm trying to think of all of our wins this year, and all of them have been to pocket passing pretty much, except for Bohannon. And even then, Bohannon was still more of a pocket passer. Almost all of them have been to pocket passing quarterbacks, and they get grilled against mobile quarterbacks. So I think I'm going to take South Carolina in this one. I don't want to, but I think they're going to win it. <laughs> Only for the fact that the defense just doesn't get off the field. I think they. I'm going to take South Carolina 34 to 31, and I hope I'm wrong. 34 to what? 34 to 31, Gamecocks. Ian, I mean, how many games have you predicted Florida to win this year? I don't want to. It's just the defense still. It's like, Wes, they stopped Haynes Kane, but now they got to face a quarterback that can actually move <laughs> in the pocket. Uh, and you do realize that the Gators surpassed your your projected win total so I've never far. been happier to be wrong. <laughs> no, I'm just, giving you shit. I'm just giving you shitty. And it, you know what? It is what it is. Like, I... I just don't – I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at Spencer Rattler's uh, yardage per game as far as passing attack, and he only has really had one decent game, and that was against Arkansas in a game they lost. And um, I'm trying to think rushing-wise if he had a really big game. I mean – he hasn't had like huge games rushing either. He's only had one game against South Carolina state where he had over 30 yards. I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking at the numbers and looking at what he's done. PTSD of that cotton bowl too. So yeah, but you got to remember with that game, Oklahoma was way more talented. Yeah, they were. And it was also, um, Trask had his worst game because every play, like every, what is it? Kadarius, Tony, Pitts, and uh, um, uh, Grimes all were out that game. Like, that was his best, like, uh, wide receiver core, and they were all gone. Like, it it was, like, basically on him to try to win that game, and it was, like, nothing he could have done. Like, they weren't going to win that game. There was nothing – it was – they shouldn't even have played him, honestly. They really shouldn't have. It probably hurt his draft stock. And, you know, but I'm glad it did because he went to the Bucks, and I'm super glad he got drafted by the Bucks. Okay, so let's move on. Let's do these last ones real quick. Georgia, Mississippi State, what do you got in this one? Georgia, you know, their defense, I don't – as good as Mississippi State's offense is, Georgia's defense is that much better. I think they'll win. I'm going to go Georgia winning maybe ugly 34-20. Dude, that's exactly what I have. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, all right. Big game. Washington at seven and two. Oregon at eight and one. Um, I'm gonna give my thoughts first. Okay. Bo Nix is the biggest surprise of the year. I don't think anyone saw this coming. It's very intriguing that he's playing as well as he has. Um 
Washington, Michael Penix Jr., uh, a solid team. They can move the ball. Um, I don't know. This is a tough game because it's in Outson Stadium uh, in Eugene. Does Oregon win this one? I think Oregon does. I think Oregon is the better team. I think Oregon wins like – I'm going to say it's going to be close. I'm going to say like 28-24. That's what I'm going with. What do you got, Ian? Um, This is my upset. Oh. I think – yep. I think the Huskies, because I think the Huskies' defense is a bit underrated. They've done a good job of holding teams, I you know, especially uh, on the run. Uh, but I think also Oregon hasn't done as good against the passing defense, and you know that's what Washington's going to rely on. And I think this is going to be close, but I think Washington just outgains Oregon and they keep the ball away from them more. I'm going to take the Huskies winning – uh, 30 to 24. Yeah, it's definitely going to be close. Okay. Uh, this could be potentially the biggest game of the day. And I think it will be because I think both of these two teams are matched up extremely well. Um, TCU, Texas, Ian, give me your thoughts first and then I'll give you mine. Yeah. I think, you know, with, you know, this is pretty much, you know, the chance for TCU to make the statement that they are the team of the Big 12. It's not going to be easy when yours is back. B. John Robinson had a big game. Um, and TCU needs to find a way to just stop the running game, which they've been pretty successful this year, um, but not nearly enough against that kind of attack. I think in this one, TCU will win in a scare I'm going to go maybe like a game-winning field goal because, again, TC finds a way to make big plays, and I think that's what it's going to come down to. I'm going to take the Horn Frogs winning. I'll go with a 37-34 win for TCU. I don't know what it is. I have a feeling that Texas is going to win this game. It's in Austin. Quinn, Quinn Ewers is really good. I really like the kid. Um I think they win this game. I don't know why. I'm just – it sucks to see TCU go down, but I think that's what's going to happen this game. I don't want it to happen because I want TCU to keep winning. I want to be wrong, but I think for some reason TCU is going to get the win. Or, I mean, Texas is going to get the win. So I'm going to go with Texas. I'm going to say Texas wins like 35 to like – 31, something like that. And it'll be close, just like you have. Yours is not far off from mine. I just think it – I think for some reason Texas is going to pull it out. I don't know what it is. I just have that feeling. Okay, UNC, Wake Forest. I think Sam Hartman gets right because UNC's defense is so bad. It's going to be a, a shootout for sure. But I think Wake Forest wins probably like 52 – to like 40. That's what I'm going to go with. What do you got? I, I'm the same way. I think this is going to be a shootout. But again, who is as much as we talk about the offenses, who has the better defense? It's definitely not North Carolina. I'm going to take Wake Forest torching them. I'm going to go with a 45 to 35 win for the Deacons. 45 to 35? Yep. Okay. Last game FSU Syracuse. I'll let you go first and then I'll give you my thoughts. Yeah, so Florida State, you know, 
this has definitely been their bounce back year. Um, and I think it's, you know, relied a lot on the running game. Um, that kind of opens up the passing lanes and all that. And for Syracuse, they're trying to, you know, rebound after a tough loss as well. It's in the carry dome. That's where they feast off of it. Um, I think though, that just how it's gone. I think this is going to be kind of a low scoring, but I'm going to take Florida state in this one in a close one. I'm going to go Florida state 23 Syracuse 20. Um, I don't want to be blinded by my hatred by Flo- of Florida State to make this pick. I think, like what you said, the Carrier Dome plays a huge advantage for Syracuse. I mean, probably more so than I would say any – I don't even – what other college team has an indoor stadium? Like, there's very few. There's <laughs> There's very few. So, it's like – it's a very unique, distinct – advantage that they have to have that stadium um i don't know if del rio wilson is the quarterback next week the other guys seem to be competent i don't know if he's injured or what's going on if he's there i think syracuse wins if del rio wilson is there i don't think they win and i think they struggle so i'm gonna just uh I mean, I have to assume that Del Rio Wilson is still the quarterback, so I'm going to say they lose. So I'm going to say Syracuse loses, um, let's say, like 28 to, like, 16. That's what I got. Okay, so that is the show, everyone. Um, You can reach us at haterradio.com. For all of our articles, I may even come up with one tomorrow. I don't know. I have some time. I might as well do something. Um, you know, there'll be an article potentially if USC and UCLA can win this week. We didn't even mention their games coming up because they have two cupcakes. So hopefully they both win out and we can get to that huge matchup next week, which potentially I might go to. So I'm excited about that because that'll be a fucking huge game to go to. Um And then um, besides that, you can also reach us at hater underscore radio for both Twitter and Insta on YouTube.com slash hater radio. And Ian, what are your socials? Yeah, it's uh, G underscore gator uh, underscore G for YouTube and G double underscore gator double underscore G for Instagram. That's the show. We'll see you next week, everybody. Take care.